0: This tape is in a Rosh Hashanah, and we're holding at the bottom of Dapyut at Aleph at the Mishnah. As background, from one Mailah to the next, in other words, from one Rosh to the next, is exactly 29 days, 12 hours, and about 44 minutes. 793 Chalakim of the 1,080 Chalakim in an hour. So from one Rosh to the next is about 29 and a half days. Even though we know this mathematically, Still in all, they would still send out shluchim in the time of the Ves HaMikdosh to be able to determine when the day of Rosh Chodesh was to do Kedush HaChidosh through these shluchim. And the Mishnah says, on six critical months, before six critical months, they would send out shluchim to distant places to look for the new moon. When were these six times? They would send them out before Rosh Chodesh Nisan, because by knowing when Rosh Chodesh Nisan was through these shluchim, we would be able to calculate when Pesach is. And 49 days later, we would know when Shavuos is. The second time they would do this would be before Ashkedish of, to be able to calculate when Tishabav was. The third time would be for El, for Rosh Hashanah. Twenty nine days after Ashkedish El, the next day, day number thirty, was Rosh Hashanah. They would do it before Tishrei, to calculate Yom Kippur, before Kislev, for Hanukkah, and before Adar, for Purim. And when the Beis Hamidish was around, they would also send Shluchim before Iyar, to be able to determine when Pesach Sheni would be. And the Gemara says, as long as we're in Golas, we must keep the Tanesim of Shivassibatamuz and Tishabav. What exactly happened on Tishabav? The Gemara says on Tishabav, both the first and second base Hamigdash were destroyed, the city of Beitar was conquered, and Yerushalayim was plowed. Shivassibatamuz is called the HaRevi because it falls in the fourth month of the year, and Tishabav is called the HaChamishi because it falls in the fifth month of the year. On the Tsaim HaShvii, which is Gimel Tishrei, Gedalia ben Achikam was murdered by Yishmael ben Nisanya. Since this is also a Tainis, we've learned that miset Tzadikim is as bad as the Hurban Beis HaMikdash, and we have to mourn for miset Tzadikim as much as we mourn for Hurban Beis HaMikdash. Tsayim HaAsiri is a Sarabatevist. Rabbi Akiva says this is when the Melech Bavil began his siege on Yerushalayim, two years before the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. Rabbi Shimon says that Tsayim HaAsiri was not a Sarabatevist, but rather, Hebetavis. In the Megillus Tainus, there is a record of 34 days that Nisim happened to Kral Yisrael. For example, Hanukkah would be one of them. And on these days, we do not do Hespid the Tainus. And finally, the Gemara says there was once a minig to put the Shem Hashem on Shtarus. On the 28th day of Odor, a Besura Taiva came to the Jews that the Xerus Malchus was cancelled. This Kzaira's Malchus said that they were not able to learn Torah, to keep Shabbos, or to do mila. This was one of the 34 special days written up in Megillah's Tinus. The Gemara says, Ekliz which is made out of glass, which was Tome, and then it got a hole, becomes shivrei Kelim. Let's say you now come and fix it with some metal filler. Rabbi Yehuda Bar Shamua says it becomes Tome again. But the Rabbanan say, since it's glass, so it now remains tar. Rabbi Yaisi holds, after the Churban Vesamigdash, these halachas of Megillus Tainus do not apply, and this is how we them, except for the case of Hanukkah and Purim, which remained as Yamim Taivim, Therefore, you're not allowed to fast or make Hespedim on Hanukkah and Purim. The Gemara says any mitzvah, which we're knowing to do in Adur Sheini, like, for example, Purim, cannot be done in Adur Rishon. And the Gemara asks, how many days are there in Adur Rishon? This is a machoikis, if it's 29 days or if it's 30 days. Today, we have 29 days in Adur Sheini, because Adrasheni is considered the regular Adar, which is, for example, when we celebrate Purim, but Adrishin, which is the extra month, has 30 days, which it happens to have this year, which is a leap year. Tavchot. From the Pasik of Parsha's Vay, has Hazalachem Reish Chadashim, we learn Kazei the Kadesh, that it's a mitzvah to be MeKadish the Chaydesh via Edim, instead of via the knowledge, the mathematics, of which months have 30 days and which months have 29 days. And the Gemara says, for Nisan and Tishrei, Bezdin would allow Chilul Shabbos in order for Edim to come to be Mekadosh the Chaydosh, since the Yam of in these months are so critical. In the time of the Beis HaMikdash, Chilul Shabbos was allowed for every month due to the karbanas that were necessary to bring. The Gemara says that ideally they did not want Yontev and Shabbos to be side by side, since if someone is Nifter, the body would have to be kept for two days. On Shabbos we don't allow Kfurs Shames through a guy. Mashe'inke, were mekel on yontif, to allow it via agoy. Regarding Kiddush HaChadosh, Bezdin would ask tough questions to try and be mavatil the edus of the edim. The Gemara says from year to year, the yamim will be four days later than they were the previous year, because in a the there's 354 days. The four extra days, after you divide 350, which is perfectly divisible by seven, those four extra days would create a situation where the yontif would be four days later than it was in the previous year. In the leap year, it would be five days later. Shmuel, who was an expert in calendars, was able to prepare calendars for any year. If the old moon was seen at all on Yen Lamed, that day could not be Rosh It is also shaykh to calculate the Meilid based on a cheshben, as we mentioned before. 29 days, 12 hours, and 793 Chalakim. If the new moon was born before Chatzais, then it's possible for Adem to have seen the new moon before Shkia on that day in Eretz Yisrael. So Rosh could potentially be on that day. However, if the Meilid was after Chatzais, it's impossible for the Bnei Eretz Yisrael to see the moon before Shkia. That's because it takes six hours from the time the Meilid starts in the world until you're able to see it in Eretz Yisrael. It's important to note that this Gemara is the Makor for the shailas in Halacha involving the International Dateline. As background to this Shila, let's talk a little bit about the movement of the sun. As we all know, the Earth, together with the other planets in our solar system, revolve around the Sun. In addition, the Earth itself spins around and completes a full circle every 24 hours. Although the exact location of the Sun varies depending on the season of the year, the basic notion is that it appears to rise in the east every morning and set in the west every evening. When part of the Earth spins away from the rays of the Sun, it becomes nightfall because the Sun is not getting the benefit of the rays... Excuse me, the Earth is not getting the benefit of the rays of the Sun on that side of the Earth. So if the Sun rises in the east at 6 a.m. on Tuesday and sets at 6 p.m. in the west on Tuesday, it'll seemingly circle the Earth and rise again 24 hours at 6 a.m. on Wednesday. So geometrically, since we know a full circle is 360 degrees, and since it takes 24 hours for the Sun to return the same sunrise point that it did the day before, the sun travels about 15 degrees per hour. 360 divided by 15 gives you the 24 hours. So it takes the sun almost four hours to cross over the United States. That's why we have four time zones in the United States. As a simple illustration, let's take, for example, March sixth, nineteen 1992, Arab Shabbos, Parshas, Pakudeh. The sun will set at 5.53 p.m. in New York. In Detroit, which is 600 miles west of New York, it will set at 6.28 p.m. It will set 35 minutes later than New York because it takes the sun 35 minutes longer to reach Detroit as it moves in a westerly direction. According to this Savara, since Chicago is 300 miles further west than Detroit, Shkia should be at about 6.46 p.m. But since the time zone changes from Eastern time to Central time, it jumps back a full hour, and Shkia in Chicago is not at 6.46 p.m., but rather at 5.46 p.m. Accordingly, cities at the western edge of a time zone, in other words, cities all the way at the end of a time zone, where the sun comes there last, like Detroit or Atlanta, typically have Shabbos starting later, while cities at the eastern edge, at the beginning of the time zone, like, for example, Chicago or Los Angeles, typically have Shabbos beginning earlier, since the sun gets there first in those time zones. The standardization of time across the globe was established in 1884 at the International Meridian Conference. At that time, the official world standard time was placed at Greenwich, England, which is a town just east of London. This system remains today that the world organizes its time around whatever time it is in England. This English line, which is known as the Prime Meridian, which is also known as Greenwich Mean Time, which is still the official time of today. How does that work? For every 15 degrees west of Greenwich, England, the clock moves one hour backward for every 15 degrees east of Greenwich, the clock moves one hour forward. So, for example, if it's 12 noon in London, it's 7 a.m. in New York, as New York is minus 5 hours Greenwich Mean Time, GMT. At an Eretz Yisrael, it would be 2 p.m., since Eretz Yisrael is plus 2 hours GMT. Now, the International Date Line is the line running through the Pacific Ocean on the opposite side of the Earth of the Prime Meridian in Greenwich, England. It is plus 12 hours GMT, Greenwich Mean Time, or minus 12 hours GMT, depending on which way you go. It's a line that runs north to south through the Pacific, that crosses through the Pacific between Japan and Hawaii. The obvious question is, why do we need a date line at all? To illustrate, let's say it's 12 noon Sunday in London, and it's 7 AM Sunday in New York, okay, because New York is five hours earlier. As we move westerly from New York, in Chicago, it's now 6 a.m. Sunday. In Los Angeles, it would be 4 a.m. Sunday. And in Tokyo, according to this cheshbon, it would be 5 p.m. on Saturday. Now, if you keep going west from Tokyo, passing over Eretz and in Europe, and so on and so forth, by the time you get back to New York, it would be 6 a.m., it would be 7 a.m. on Shabbos. But wait a minute, you have to ask yourself this question. A minute ago, we just said that it was 7 a.m. Sunday in New York. But according to this cheshbon, it would be 7 a.m. Shabbos as you move around the globe. So is it 7 a.m. Shabbos morning, or is it 7 a.m. Sunday morning? This is why the International Meridian Conference established a dateline. Somewhere in the world, the 24-hour cycle has to start, and then it has to go around and end somewhere. So on the other side of that line, it can begin on one side and end on the other. This means when you leave Los Angeles, for example, which is the end of the sun cycle, going west on Sunday, when you cross that dateline, it now becomes Monday. So while 7 a.m. Sunday in New York... It's not 5 p.m. Saturday in Tokyo, but rather it's 5 p.m. Sunday in Tokyo, because you've now made your way all the way around. The earliest reshon to discuss this concept of the international dateline was the Balhamor. The Balhamor explains that Arsugiya indicates that the location of the Halachic international dateline is 90 degrees to the east of Yushalayim, or six hours east of Yerushalayim. As the Gemara says here, the notion of the Mailid being six hours east of Yushalayim. This would be a line running north to south, passing through eastern Russia, eastern China, and western Australia. The Briska interprets this to mean that Sydney and Melbourne, which are in eastern Australia, are now on the other side of the dateline because the dateline runs on the western side of Australia, which means that when the radio in Sydney, Australia says, good morning, it's Sunday morning, it's really not Sunday morning, as everybody thinks it is in Australia, and people are driving to shul, but rather it's really Shabbos morning since it's now minus 23 hours from the western part of Australia, because now you've gone totally around the earth, you're on the other side of the date line. You're not on the Eretz Yisrael side of the date line anymore. In other words, the line begins in the middle of Australia. So it's Shabbos 8 a.m. Now you move east. In the United States, it's almost Motzai Shabbos. And in Eretz Yisrael, it's late Motzai Shabbos. And in western Australia, it's already Sunday morning. But in eastern Australia, it's Shabbos morning, because you've just crossed the date line. So what happens is the whole Shiloh in eastern Australia, according to this, is it Shabbos or is it Sunday? The Chazanish, however, explained that it's impossible to have a situation where one side of the street, it would be Shabbos, and on the other side of the street, it would be Sunday, which would potentially have in this Australia example. That would be the situation of what would happen. Hence, he posken that any landmass attached to the western side of Australia or the eastern part of China attached to the rest of Asia and Europe retains the Eretz Yisrael side status. because It's all part of one land mass. So anything that the date line crosses through, anything part of that whole land mass, even on the other side of that date line, would be considered part of the western land mass, i.e. the part of Eretz Yisrael. However, if it's land that's not attached to this main piece of land, for example, Japan or New Zealand, or as soon as you cross into the water, offshore Australia, when it's the other side of the date line, you're now going to have a Shiloh, whether Shabbos really is Sunday or whether it's Shabbos when the townspeople in these cities is it when the townspeople think that it's Shabbos or when the Gemara would imply it is it could be a very big difference in Halacha whether it's Shabbos or whether it's Sunday this was in fact the same Shiloh that the Mir Yeshiva had when they were in Kobe, Japan in 1941 where is Japan? when they say that it's Shabbos is it really Shabbos or is it really not Shabbos? and when it's Sunday, is it Sunday or is it Shabbos? however, Rabbi Achil Michal Tuchashinsky in the 1940s he disagrees. And he holds that the date line, La Halacha, is not 90, 90 degrees east of Yushalayim, but rather 180 degrees east of Yushalayim, exactly on the opposite side of the earth as, Yerushal- as Yerushalayim is. So it's the exact opposite side. This would put it just east of Hawaii, or east of Fairbanks, Alaska. So according to this, the problem is not New Zealand or Japan, the problem is Hawaii. Since in Ho- Hawaii, while they think that it's Friday, it may be really Shabbos. I actually had a related MISA a few years ago when I went to visit Australia and was booked on a flight to fly from Australia to Hong Kong on a Sunday morning. A few people in Melbourne told me that although it's not a major shaila, I need to be very careful on a part of my plane trip not to do Malacha de Raisa. Since although in Australia it's Sunday morning and as long as my plane is flying over land, it's still considered Sunday morning, as we said before from the Chazanish. But as soon as we fly over water, this Kula cool of the Chazanish doesn't apply anymore because now I'm off... That piece of land which is considered the part of the land where the dateline comes through. Meaning to say that now that would be considered like I was on the other side of a dateline. And instead of it being Sunday noon, it would be Shabbos noon. This Shiloh was really only for about an hour on the plane because the first three hours of the flight we crossed over land in Australia. Then we went into water. And there there was a Shtikl Shiloh. Once we passed Western Australia where the line runs through, I'm now on the Archstral side. So there's no Shiloh anymore. So for that hour, I just avoided doing Malachas de Raisa. I didn't write, or I didn't close the door to the restroom, or anything like that. It's just a little interesting story of these kinds of Shilohs that come up when, you, when you're when you flying over these types of places. It's interesting to point out that Ramanacham Kasher, who was niftar ten years ago, held that according to Shittas Rashi in our Gemara, he brings down that there's no Makar at all for a dateline, according to the Shittas Rashi here. The Balamor is the one that draws that conclusion from our Gemara. So according to him, you can pick any point you want for the dateline. So in 1884 when the International Meridian Conference established the dateline of today which is 180 degrees halfway around the earth from Greenwich that's the halachic dateline. However, this opinion is rejected by many later paiska. So Lamaisa when one needs to travel to Japan, or New Zealand or Hawaii, and they know they're going to be there on or around the Shabbos they need to ask a Eshaila. Amar Abzera, Amar Nachman. The moon moves from east to west, similar to the sun. Everywhere in the world, there's a 24-hour period where we see no moon at all. In real life today, we know that this is a period of about 48 hours. And finally, the Gemara says, when there is a suffolk on when Pesach and Sukkot come out, we keep it on both the 15th and 16th day of the month. As we learnt in de Yema, and we say, therefore we keep two days of Yanta. However, we do not say the same Chumrah for the 14th day of the month. We don't have to keep three days because maybe it was the 14th day of the month, but rather we only keep it on the 15th and the 16th. <laughs> Rabbi Yechanan said if one is in a community that Edom arrived for Nisan to announce the month, but they did not come for Tishrei, then they have to keep two days for both the Yom Kippur in Nisan and in Tishrei. Rava used to fast two days for Yom Kippur since he was Mesupik when Roshchidosh Tishrei was proclaimed. We are not bound to do this today since we know, according to the Chassam Sefer, that Elul, was almost always 29 days. So Al raiv, we know when Yud Tishrei is. Also, since it's Akana for a person to fast two days in a row, we're not machmer Al Tzveke to fast two days for Yom Kippur. That the Gemara says if the Tukufas Teves would extend all the way to Pesach, then it's a simen you need to add a second odor to that year in order to ensure that Pesach will be in the aviv and not in the winter. The Pasik says Shamar Eschaydisha aviv, and this is why we have leap years today. The purpose is, as a check and balance, to match the lunar calendar and the solar calendar. Because, as we mentioned earlier in Akutamah, that every year, because the solar year has 365 days and the lunar year has 354 days, every year Pesach would get 11 days earlier. So the leap years come along to push it back into its proper time frame, the Mishnah. Edom are, not allowed, Edom are allowed to be Machalel Shabbos to help be Makadish the Chaydish, for Tishrei and Nisan. They are allowed to do it in Tishrei and Nisan due to the upcoming Yomim Taivim And we have to make sure we know when those days are. However, during the Zman Beis Hamidosh, they could be Mechal Shabbos every single month due to the Chiyav of Karbanas Roshchidosh that we had to know when Roshchidosh was. The Gemara says we learned that Chil Shabbos is mutter for proclaiming Roshchidosh Tishrei and Nisan. Since the pasuk says, Eilam oiadeh Hashem asher tikru oisam bameh Adam. To be able to proclaim them in their right time. The next Mishnah. This Chil Shabbos was allowed even if the skies were cloudy. And the Gemara says there are 50 levels of understanding in the Torah. Moshe Rabenu knew 49 of them. Kohalas wanted to know as much as Moshe. And Hashem told Kohalas that he could, since the Torah said, And finally, the Gemara says to decide a judgment, you need two Edim. One is not enough. The Pesach says, If a father and son saw the new moon, they should both go to Yerushalayim to testify. We know normally a father and son cannot come together to be Edom, but in this case they're allowed to do that, since even though they cannot testify together, if one of them becomes Pusel, the second one would be able to join up with someone else, which would make it a kosher, a group. Rav holds a father and a son are allowed to testify together and are kosher for the purposes of Kiddush HaChadosh only. The Gemara. Rav says this particular reason. He says this is based on a special Pusuk. The Gemara says we paskim like Rav says, but the says we do not paskin like Rup Shimon, and therefore we paskin lechum. The Mishnah. There are certain edim that are apostle mid One, if someone is m- masachik v'kuvya, he's a gambler for a living. Number two, malve beribus, he lends money with interest. Number three, mafriche m- yainim, he gambles on pigeon races. If he's a seichare shvius, and finally if he's an evan. And the next Mishnah says if someone saw the moon, but he can't walk to Yerushalayim, then he can be escorted with a chamor. Even if this chil Shabbos is needed, it's motor anyway. That's how the ritva explains it. And this marks the end of the first Perak. Now we will begin the second Perak Perak in Enon Makir, the Mishnah. Normally a Jew has a cheskes kashrus for Edos. And by Kiddush HaKiddush, they used to accept all the edim. But when the Baisusim began to send false edim, Bezdim began to check out edim to be sure that they were appropriate. Otherwise, they would not accept the Eidus. And the Gemara says, Although we're Machner for Edim regarding Kiddush HaChadosh, once Bezdin announces that it's Rosh and it's official, all Stam people are believed if one says to his friend that Bezdin proclaimed Rosh Why? Since no one would lie about a milsa diavida avida l'agluye. Someone would never come to lie about something which eventually everybody's going to hear about. So if the person comes to lie... His friend is going to be very upset, and people would not do that because people won't lie about something which is going to be obvious to the world in a day or two. The Turei asks, why should this really matter? In faraway places, they had to keep two days of Yantav anyway because of Minogavaseinu Biyadenu. So, what good is one A that says when Rosh was? So he answers that Nachamina is regarding the second day of Yontav where if you knew specifically when, you, when the first day of Yantav was, on the second day of Yantav you would be able to practice certain kulas. Mashenkin, if you didn't know, the second day had to be treated like the first day, the Mishnah. They used to announce Rishchidesh via bonfires. They were Massian masues, But eventually came a point where the Kusim sabotaged the fires. At that point, they used to send Shluchim to spread the word instead of using the bonfires. And the way the bonfires used to work, the system, the bonfire system, began with cedarwood bonfires, waved from the Hara mishra, which is the Hara Zesim in Yerushalayim, which then would be lit on the Har Sartava, and then they would be lit on numerous additional mountains until the word reached Bava. And finally, Gemara says the only time they lit fires was if the month was Chaser, if it had 29 days. Since it was Mali it had 30 days, it became a automatically by default. It was obvious it couldn't be a day later because that was, it had to be either the 29th or the 30th day. Chav the cedar woods used for the fire was many different types of woods which came from many different places. And any tree that supplied this wood, the Gemara says, will eventually be returned back to Yerushalayim. V'yomar Rabbi Eichanan, kol person who learns taira, the enum alamda, and he doesn't teach it to other people, daim hadas midbar, he's like a lone hadas in the desert. Ikud the army, kol haloy med any person who learns tyra, um and a person teaches it in a place where there's no one else to teach it, that he's daima la midbar the because since he's the only hadas in the midbar, then he's considered very precious. Also, Amr Rabbi Eichonin, woe is to the goyim who have no takana. And also, what will Hashem do to replace Rabbi Akiva the chaverav who were murdered? The Gemara answers, vini kesi damam kesi. This passage tells us that Hashem cannot forgive the goyim who killed them. And the Gemara says, from one mountain to the next, to the bonfire, there were a distance of thirty-two parsiays. The Mishnah. All Adem used to come to a big chatzar called the base Yazak in Jerusalem for the purpose of this badika regarding Rishchidosh. Since they came from outside of the Tchum, which we said was mutter, just for the purpose of Kiddush HaChidosh, they couldn't leave the chatzar all day because then they, they would be going outside of the Dalai And once you're in that place, you're not allowed to walk outside your Dalai Ramos. And they, there they would feed the Adam big sudas to encourage Adem to come. Rabbi Gamliel made a special takana to allow them to walk now 2,000 amas, not just the Dalai amas, or not just to stay within the chotzer. In the B'dika, they would first take one witness, and they would ask him how he saw the moon. Was the moon ahead or behind the sun? Was it to the north or to the south of the sun? How high was the moon, and how wide was the moon, etc.? After the first witness, they would check the second witness. If they matched, then they would proclaim that it's for Chedesh, a dusan kayamas. What about all the additional pairs of Adam that came? What would they do with them? They were also asked top-line questions. Why was this? Because if you would end with the first pair of Adam, it would discourage all the other Adam coming the next time because the 20 other pairs of Adam would say, look, we came all the way to Yerushalayim, and they didn't even bother with us. Therefore, they would ask them some basic questions, so the next time they would be encouraged to come again. Rashi explains that the moon rises in the east, sweeps across the southern sky, and then sets in the west. This is just like the sun. So on Rosh it was first visible in the evening in the west, near the sun, because that's where it was setting. Hence the question of the Mishnah, was it ahead of the sun or behind the sun? And ahead of the sun means that it was to the north of the sun. And finally, Gemara says, the sun never sees the dark side of the moon, so that the moon should not be humiliated. There is a difference between winter and summer, regarding where the moon is in relation to the sun. Rashi explains that in the winter, the sun rises in the southeast, swings across the southern sky, it sets in the southwest. In the summer, it spans a much wider distance. As it rises in the northeast, it then hits due east, swings across the southern sky, then it hits due west, and then it sets in the northwest. And this is, in fact, as we know today. The Gemara says that if the Edim saw the moon in water, in other words, they didn't see it Mamish, but they saw a reflection of the moon in the water, or they saw it against the glass or through the clouds, then the Edus is possible because they didn't actually see the moon. If when the Adam saw the moon, they didn't look at it with the intention of being made, then the Edom is also possible. The Mishnah. When the Edom was accepted, the head of the Besdin would say, Makudash, And everybody around him would answer, Makudash Mekudosh. The Tanakhama holds Besdin was always Mekadesh the Chaydish. According to Rabbi bin ben Tzadik, which is how we pass they were only Mekadesh when it was seen Bizmane. But if it was seen Shalai Bizmane, i.e. Rishchaydish Chaydish. Is on the 31st day, and they wouldn't be mekadesh Since Krakit Shushamayim, it's automatic that that's when Rosh Chaydish is. If it wasn't on the 29th day, then it's definitely on the 30th day. Plamai says, they're only mekadesh if it was Shaloi Rabbi, Rabbi Shimon says, we're never Mekaddish to Chaydish at all. The only time we're mekadesh is during the years of Yovel, but not for months. The Mishnah. Rabbi Gamliel had pictures and charts of moons that he used for questioning the Adam. He brought them he actually bought them from Goyim once upon a time, and when witnesses used to come, he would use them to question the positioning of the moon. And Gemara says, Although it's mutter to create replications and pictures of the moon, it's also to make replicas of the ulam, the hechal of the Beis Hamigdash, or the kelam the of the Beis Hamigdash. It's mutter to make a menorah of five, six, or eight candles, but not of seven candles. It's also to worship the sun, moon, stars, rivers, mountains, or even a small worm and a ring with a figure protruding from it is also to wear, since it's like a vayda But if the figure is sunk into it, then it's okay. And we say that sometimes we're makele on some of these things for the purposes of learning. Tavchafei, the Mishnah. There were numerous Edim who came regarding Aleph Tishrei, and Rabbi Yechanan Benuri did not accept them. But Rabbi Gamliel and Yavne did accept them. Rabbi Yeshua did not agree with Rabbi Gamliel. So Rabbi Gamliel told Rabbi Yeshua to come on his chazban. Rabbi Yeshua's cheshben, of Yom Kippur, with his stick and his money. In other words, to prove that Rabbi Gamliel was really right, since he was the Nasi, when he proclaimed it was. That, that was the real chazban for when Yom Kippur should be. Rabbi Yeshua rationalized that even though Rabbi Gamliel, in his opinion, was wrong about the chazban he was right in the eyes of Hashem. As the Pesach says, Asher, elamoy adi Hashem asher tikru b'mayadam. It's totally when you declare them, even if it's wrong. Rabbi Daisa told Rabbi Yeshua, we always must listen to the Besnan, since any three Dayanam in any degeneration must be treated like the Bezdin of my So Rabbi Yeshua went on his Yom Kippur to Rabbi Gamliel with his stick and with his money. Rabbi Gamliel got up and kissed him and said, you are greater than me in Chachma, but you act as my Talmud since you listened to me. And the Gemara says, in times where Malchus made Gezeres, the secret signal to communicate when Kiddush HaChadish was were the words David Melech Yisrael the Gemara brings down a story that once they saw the new moon early on the 29th day between the clouds, and Rabbi Gamliel said that we cannot be mekaddish to chedish, since the time they saw it was before 29 days, 12 hours, and 793 halakim. Therefore, it was too early to proclaim Rosh chaydish. The Gemara asks, why weren't the names of the Shivim Zikenim, the 70 elders, mentioned in the Torah? So the Gemara answers, so that in every generation, people will think that their Bezdim is like these other Zikenim. And finally, the Gemara says that the great person of each generation, even if he's light, even if he's a Kal, but if he was appointed by the people as the leader, we must treat him with respect, just like he was Moshe Rabbeinu. This marks the end of the second parak. Parak Shlishi Ra'uhu Bezdin, the Mishnah. If Bezdin and all of Kal Yisrael saw the new moon, but they did not have a chance to announce it on that particular day, and they must wait and proclaim it on the next day. Once you miss the opportunity the day before, they have to push it off to the next day. And the Gemara says, In Dine Mominus, you can judge a person by day and make the Psak by night. But by Kiddush HaChaydash, both the Chakiris HaEidim and the proclamation must be made by day. You're not allowed to do either of them at night. If Bezden can be Makadish the Chaydash by hearing from two Edim, so surely if they themselves see the new moon, they can be Makadish Chaydash. Since we know like tehe shmiya gedayla and finally the Gemara says there was no grainer mumcha than Meisha Rabenu. Nonetheless, Meisha was only able to be mukadish chaydish together with ara If someone is seemingly mechuyev in misa, Bezdin has a chiyav to try to find a schus for that particular person or some sort of a loophole to pater him from misa. The Gemara says ein aid nasa dayan. Once a person says testimony, he cannot serve as a dayan on that case. As background to the next Mishnah, regarding Rosh Hashanah, the Pasuk says, lachem. It should be a day of a wailing sound. And in the year of a Yovel, we learn that the Trua is done via Shefer. The Mishnah says, any type of horn is okay for Shefer, except that of a Par. Rabbi Yasi says, all horns are okay. We Pasuk that only hollow horns can be used, and the horn of a Par cannot be used. Rav asks, why doesn't the Kayen Gadol go into the Kodesh kodashim on Yom Kippur with his regular Big Day of Why does he go in with special Big Day Lavan? So the Gemara answer is, She'en kateger Since gold was used for the Egal, it cannot now be used as a defender for Kval Yisrael. And since the Par was used for the Egal, we're not allowed to use its horn for a shafer either. Kategor Also, you're not allowed to use the shafer of a Par, since it's considered a Karen, not a Shefer. The Gemara says that in different cities they have special nicknames for things. For example, Rabbi Akiva saw in Galya that a nido was called Galmuda because she was separated from her husband. The next Mishnah. The so, the best shafer for Rosh Hashanah is a horn of a mountain goat, of a yail, which is straight. This is the Tanakhama. In the Besamigdash, the mouthpiece of a shafer had gold. And they also had chatzotzras, horns, as an accompaniment. On fast days, they should use a shofar of a ram, which is bent. The Mishnah says that the Shafer of Yom Kippur, Yevil, is the same as Rosh Hashanah, it's straight. Rabbi Yehuda, who is how we pass can, argues on the Tanakama, and he says that on Rosh Hashanah we use the shafer of a ram, which is bent, kofov, but on Yevil we use the shafer of a yael, of a mountain goat, which is straight. Rabbi Levi says that the mitzvah of both Rosh Hashanah and Yevil, Yom HaKippurim, is with a bent sheifer, one that is kofov, but the rest of the year, for example, on a tinus, it should be straight. The reason for Rabbi Yehuda says that, the Yehuda says that we use a bent shefer on Rosh Hashanah is to symbolize a person's state of mind during the tefillah on Rosh Hashanah, that he's supposed to be bent over, he's supposed to be humble. If one uses a ram's horn that is not bent, so as we see in Simon, Tov kuf Pevav, you And the Shainam add that not only must it be bent, but we should use a horn from a ram that's bent. This is as a remembrance of the Akedas Yitzchak. And the Rambam says that even with the avid, if we use the horn that's not Maram, then we're not Yetzin. The Ritva says that the Yom Kippur, which is spoken of here, is that of Yevul. On a regular Yom Kippur, that we know we blow Shefer at the end of Yom Kippur, there's no obligation to blow the Shefer at all. Clearly, since there's no real Chiv to do that, there's no bracha that's recited for this blowing, and there are no restrictions on the type of Shefer which is used or the sounds of the blast that we blow. The Ritva also adds that the blast that we blow on after Yom Kippur, it sounded after Mariv. But the Mordechai and the Hagos Maimani say that it sounded immediately after Ne'ilah. As the blowing of the Shefer is considered a Chochmah and not a Melacha, there's no problem of it being blown before Marif. And today, typically, in most shuls, right after we finish Ne'ilah, we say Shema Yisrael once, Baruch Shem three times, Hashem Huwa Alokim seven times, then we say Kaddish, then we blow Shefer. Tafchav Zayn. A person must hear the beginning and the end of every Tkiah. That means in Malchias we blow t'kiah, trua t'kiah. In we blow t'kiah, trua t'kiah. And in Shefwits, we blow t'kiah, trua t'kiah. So the ch'i of deraiseh is to hear these nine different blows. The Pasik says, Zohar v'shamar, as we learned by Shabbos. So we say, Zohar v'shamar bedibur echa namro. They were both said at exactly the same time, which was, of course, anes. If a person blows a sheifer into a bar, if he heard the sound of the sheifer only, then he's yaitzim but if you also heard the sound of the echo coming from the pit, then he's not yoytza. Because we say, Kali koli le You're not, You're not supposed to, or you're not able to hear two voices simultaneously. The Gemara says that if ten people read a Megillah together, they are yoytza, since the Megillah is considered chaviv, it's considered very precious, and therefore they'll listen very well. So we don't possible it due to trekoli koli lo and this would also apply if one heard the sheifer and the chatzotzer together. But since it's considered chaviv, we do not pass it. The Gemara says that we use silver versus gold for the Chatzaitzrus since the Torah has pity on people's money. In our Tefilos on Rosh Hashanah, we follow Rebel Eliezer, who holds Betishrei Nivra HaOilam since in Zechranas we say Zahayim on this particular day, which is Rosh Hashanah, therefore it's like Rebel Eliezer, the Mishnah. If the Shefer became split and we glued it, then it's puzzle, since it's like two different schafers. If it has a hole and you patch it up, if the sound ends up to be the same as the old sound, then it's kosher. Otherwise, if a new sound comes out of this new configuration, then it's puzzle. If someone blows a shafer into a pit, if the sound mixes with the echo, then he's not yoytza, since the Since we know the bracha is lishmaya kal shafer. If someone was walking by a shul and happened to hear the shafer or happened to hear the mengillah, as long as he had kavana to be yaitze, then he's Yitza. But if he did not have kavana, then he's not Yaitse. And the Gemara says, If someone cuts a shayfer to make it shorter, he's Yitza. If he gold plates the shayfer, or he gold plates the mouthpiece, and it affects the sound of the shayfer at all, then he's not yaitza. this now it is not just coming from the shayfer, but it's now coming from two different things. The Gemara says one must blow from the narrow part of the shayfer into the wider part of the shayfer, because that's how it grows from the animal. It comes out of the animal's head, narrow, and then it gets wider person turns it around, then he's not yaitzah. If a sheifer has a hole, in order for it to remain kosher, it has to meet three requirements. Number one, rave of the sheifer, of the original sheifer, must be left. Number two, the material used to patch up the sheifer must be biminoi, it has to be a piece from another sheifer. And number three, the new sound must be the same as the old one. We pass like this and we're machmer, that we need all three of these things for it to remain kosher. A sheifer must be at least one tafach big and any sound that it produces would still be considered good. The Gemara says, if we blow the shaifer into a bar, then he's not Yaitzah, because we don't know if it's the sound of the shaifer or the sound of an echo. However, if someone is in the bar, and the person hears the actual sound of the sheifer, but not the echo, then he's Yaitzah. If a person heard part of the t'kiyas, before Daybreak, before Amut HaShachar, then he's not Yaitzah, because it's now before this man. Rabbi Yehuda says, if a person uses a shaifer that was really Asr Bahana, in other words, it was from a karban, Then it's considered like he's ma'al. And it's considered mitzvah haba b'avera, and he's not yaitzah l'chadkhilo. But the if it's on an oyla, then he is yaitzah, since an oyla is kachim kachim, and as soon as he uses it for the sheifer, it becomes chulan. Others say that he is, he is yaitzah, since it's mitzvah lav lehenes no. What about a stolen sheifer? The Rambam says that one who blows a stolen sheifer fulfills the mitzvah, because the mitzvah is Lishmaya kol shefer, to hear the sound of the shefer. As such, the blower doesn't even have to touch the shefer or pick it up, and the listener fulfills the mitzvah. The only thing that the listener could be possibly stealing is the sound which he hears, and the sound is not something which can be stolen. Rabbi HaShaber Saloveitchik, Shlita, says that by stating that the mitzvah is hearing the shefer, the Rambam establishes that the shefer is not a cheftzoshel mitzvah. As such, the element of the shefer being stolen does not affect the mitzvah. Moreover, it's important to note it's the Rambam's understanding that throughout the Torah, the invalidation of mitzvah Hababavera vera applies only when there's a psul in the chaptashal mitzvah. Therefore, in the Talmud Yerushalmi, where it states that if someone eats matzah while walking out into a Haraba Manshavas, he fulfills his obligation, and mitzvah haba'avera is not considered a factor. However, on Yovel, when the mitzvah is blowing the shofar, the Rambam would agree that a stolen shofar would passel and would not be good, and the person would not be yitz. According to Rabbi Yehuda. You cannot use a sheifer from an idol, but for the evid, you are Yitz. And Rava says if someone blew a sheifer on Rosh Hashanah for musical purposes, but not for the mitzvah, he's also Yitz. Just like if someone eats matzah without kavana or is forced to eat it, he's also Yitz. So we see according to Rava, mitzvah ena trichas kavana. If the blower of a sheifer has kavana and the listeners does not, or vice versa, then they're not Yitz. And Rav says, A person is not over on unless he adds on at the time of the mitzvah. So if one sleeps in the sukkah on Atzeres, he gets no malchus since he was mitzvah beyond the zman of the mitzvah. Or if you hold mitzvah tzrichas kavana, here is no isser since there is no kavana to be yaitzeh the mitzvah. And finally we say that if a kayan does birchas kayanim in five different shuls on the same day, there is also no baltaysef. Both the blower and the listener must have kavana so that the listener will be Yitzza and T'kiya Shaifer. We him like this by all mitzvahs, that both the Shemeyah and the Mashmiya must have Kavana to be Yaitzah, for example, like Kiddush, both the person who makes the Kiddush and the person who hears the Kiddush have to have Kavana in order for the person who hears it to be Yaitzah. The basic makhleiches of mitzvah Tzricha's Kavana is a makhleiches Tanaim, as we know from Sachim and Av It's a we shinim actually, how we pasken, as we see in shochanarach, Simen Samach, Sif Dalet. The Mechaber says one must have Kavana to be Yaitzah. The Echreinim explain, however, that this Chumrah, that everybody has to have Kavana, only applies if he could be doing the mitzvah for an additional purpose. For example, if a person listens to the Tkiyas for musical purposes, another possible option, then he has to have Kavana. However, if there's no other reason for a person to do this particular action except for the purposes of mitzvah, then he is Yaitzah even without Kavana. An interesting Mafgamina in Halacha would be by benching. If a person before starting to bench has no kavana why he was saying birchas he'd be yaitza anyways, since the benching was clearly for the purpose of mitzvah. What other benefit would a person get out of just saying the, mitzv- the birchas ha stamazai. therefore the fact that he's doing it and just saying it means he's obviously doing it for the purpose of the mitzvah, so he doesn't have to have kavana. But let's say he's benching with kids and he's singing along, then we say mitzvah strichas kavanah. kavana. And what that halacha would say is, since he must have kavana... Here he has the musical benefit of singing along with the kids. So if he didn't have explicit kabbana for benching, then he's not Yitzh. The Mishnah. Regarding Amalek, the Pasuk says, Haya kasha yorim meisha the Yisrael. When Meisha held up his hands, that Klai Yisrael would be winning the war. And when he put down his hands, Claudius Yisrael would be losing the war. What does him holding up his hands have anything to do with winning or losing? So the Mishnah answers, the pshat is that as long as Claudius Yisrael was misbalta Hashem. And they had a lot of Kavanah and they were misbalat Hashem, then they were winning. But if they did not have kavana, and they were not misbalat Hashem and did not ask for Hashem to help them, then they were losing the war. So we see that kavana means a lot. The Mishnah adds that a shaita the cotton cannot be mightsi others in Tekiya Shaifer and in other mitzvahs. And the Mishnah mentions a general a general rule. Any person who cannot, who is not mechuyiv in a particular mitzvah, cannot be might see other people with their chiv. So therefore we know that a woman is also patter from Shefra, because it's a mitzvah saseh, she has man grama. A person who is a chatsi ever and a chatsi b'nei chayrin cannot be might see people either. And the Gemara says, ava b'reid rev Zerah, Ava was the son of rev he learned kol ha-brachas kulon afal pisha yotza." any person is allowed to make a bracha even though he was already yaitzah the mitzvah he's allowed to then go make the bracha for other people anyway except and even if you were yaitzah already normally a mitzvah you can be mitzi others since we say you have to care about your friend because one Jew has to care for the other So even though you are already yaitzah the mitzvah but since you care about the other people that they should also be yaitze, the mitzvah, you're allowed to make the bracha for them anyway. However, the exception to this is by Birkashananin, for example, Birkas Aperis or Brasanim, that you're not allowed to be mitzi others once you are yitzah already. Since these mitzvahs are not mitzvahs, they're only rishus. And since they're rishus, you don't say call That only applies in a case where a person has a Khiyap to do a mitzvah. But if something is a Rishus, you don't have any obligation to be might the other person. Therefore if you are ready, you're not allowed to be might these other people. And Rav asks, what about Hamotzi by Matzah, or Birchas by Kiddush? These are sort of a Chiv, but sort of Birchas Because on one hand, you're a to make Kiddush, but on the other hand, Barit is a Birchas So Rav Ashi saw, by Rav Papi, that he was might see others. And we see this in Chaber speaks about it in Simon Kuf Samach Zayin, Sif Chof. He said that by Lecha Mishnah, you cannot be might others unless you are also eating. But the Gemara says, to make hamitzi for children is okay, since for the purpose of chinach you are allowed to do it. And this chinach would be doiche, even a potential bracha she'enitzricha. And finally we say the bracha on Halil and Megillah, you are allowed to say and be might others, even if you already said it, because we say kol Yisrael araven zeh bazzer. This marks the end of the third parak. Now let us begin the fourth parak, Perak Yomtev, the Mishnah. If Rosh Hashanah fell out on Shabbos, they would blow Shefer in the Migdash, but they would not blow it in the Medina. Rashi says that the Migdash is referring to the Beis HaMigdash only, not the rest of Yerushalayim. The rest of Yerushalayim was considered the Medina. Rabbim says that the Migdash was considered all of Yerushalayim. After the Beis HaMigdash was destroyed, Rabbi and ben Zakkai made a that they would blow Shefer on Shabbos, but only in the place of a bezdan. Rabbi says that Bezden means only where the Bezdin HaGadol was, where the Bezden with 70 people were. In other words, for example, in Yavna, Tanakama says any place where there was a Bezden at all, even a smaller Bezden of 23 people, would be considered an area of a Bezden, and they would blow there on Shabbos. The Gemara says we don't normally blow on Shabbos. We normally don't, don't blow Shaifer on Shabbos. Since the Pasuk says regarding Shabbos, trua. That On Shabbos you should remember, but not necessarily blow. Rabbi says that we don't blow when Rosh Hashanah falls out on Shabbos, since we're afraid that a person will carry Dalaramas Amos B'Rishos It's for the same reason we don't carry a Lulav on Shabbos or the Megillah on Shabbos. In the Beis HaMikdash we were not afraid of this because we always say the rule of Eint the B'Mikdash, that we do not keep necessarily all the Rabbanans in the Beis HaMikdash because there was reason And all the Kohanim were around and if one came to the point where they may have been Mechal, one would remind the other that it's an Yisr. During Yo'eval on Yom Kippur, even if it's on Shabbos, all had a Chiyav to blow the Shoff by Yo'eval, the sound of an individual's sheifer, there were so many of them, they were all so loud, you couldn't hear anything else. And the Mishnah. From here on, we continue with a number of Mishnahes, which talk about the other tachonists of Rabbi Echen and Ben Zaka. And one of them is as follows. They used to take the lulav, the Dalad Minam, every day in the Beis HaMikdash. But in the Medina, they only used to take it on one day. As we see from the Pasuk, outside of the Beis HaMikdash, it's only Beis HaMikdash. But In the Beis HaMikdash, you would take it for Shivas HaMikdash. When the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, Rabbi Echanan Ben Zakeh mis- was mesaken to take the lul of all days of Sukkot, which is how we do it today, Zecher leMikdash. So today, for example, the first day is considered Midaraisa, and the rest of the days are Zecher leMikdash. He was also Misakin that even though Chodash is mutter on the morning of Ben Nisan and it becomes mutter at that point, but we still wait until the end of the day to be Mater Chodash the Mishnah. They used to accept witnesses any time on the 30th day. If all went well, they could proclaim that day Rosh Hashanah. However, if no Edim came, that month was was considered Mole, and the next day was considered Rosh Chedesh or Rosh Hashanah. But on Rosh Hashanah, this was a very big problem, since on Lamed Elol they weren't sure all day if this day was going to be Rosh Hashanah or not. At one time, Edim came late in the day, and the Levim got all messed up by the Shir, the Shir of the Tamid Shalbein Arbayim, regarding Nisuch Hayayin. They weren't sure what necessarily to sing because they weren't sure whether it was weekday or whether it was yantav. So they were misaken, that they would accept witnesses only until the time of the Talmud Shalbein HaRabayim. The witnesses came later. Rosh was pushed off and so was Rosh Hashanah. When the Beis Hamidish was destroyed, Reb and Ben Zake made a takana, that you could accept Edim all day again, since at that point there were no more issues of Karbanas. What exactly happened, the Gemara asks. The Gemara answers that the Levim got mixed up since they didn't know if they should be singing the Shir shal kodesh or the Shir Shal-Khal. And finally, the Gemara says the psalm that is said on Musaf of Rosh Hashanah is from Kapitel Pe Aleph in Tehillim, Har-Ninu the same Shir Shal-Yayim that we normally say on Thursday. Each day we have a special Shir Shal-Yayim and that we say it today the same way that they said that Shira in the Beis HaMikdash. We know on Sunday... It's capital chavdal laShem ha'aretz that God Hashem fashioned the world and became its sole ruler. On Monday, Godel Hashem from capital memches that Hashem divided the upper and lower realms and He ascended on high. On Tuesday, we say alokim nitzav badaskel Pebez, that Hashem made the land visible. On Wednesday, we say kel n'kamas Hashem kel n'kamas capital sadikdalah that Hashem created the sun and the moon and will take revenge from those who worship them. On Thursday, we say harnino. Kapitol Pei Aleph, Hashem created fish and fowl to praise. On Friday, we say Hashem Moloch, which is Kapitol Tzaddik Gimel, that Hashem finished his creation and ruled over them. And finally, on Shabbos, we say from Kapitol Tzaddik Beis, Mizmarshiliyah Shabbos. where Nechemi says that Hashem rested. Yehuda says this refers to the Zman Mashiach, the seventh millennium, that would end, the world would end at the year 6000. And Rav Katina said that the world is for 6,000 years, and then the world is destroyed for 1,000 years. Abayah says that it's going to be destroyed for 2,000 years. For Musaf on Shabbos, the Shira was not taken from Tehillim, but rather from Parshas Hazino, Haziv Loch, and for Mincha they said parts of Oz The Shechina, after the Churban, left Yerushalayim, it left Yerushalayim in seven and ten different stages, making a stop at each of the ten places, Corresponding to this, the Sanhedrin then moved to 10 different places. Of course, they began in the Lishkas Hagazis, in the Beis HaMikdash, then they moved to the Chanus, in the Harabais, then to Yushalayim, to Yavne, to Usha, back to Yavne, back to Usha, to Shafram, to Beisha'arim, to Tsipari, and finally to Tveria. Rabbi Leeser said there were only six moves. The Gemara says, Toiv Lasheves Alpinas HaGag, which is a posik from Mishle, that it's better to dwell on the corner of Uf. Than to be in a house with a quarrelsome wife or a rival. Then we have another Mishnah. Another Takana of Rabbi If the head of the Bezdin went away, the adim do not have to find him, but they can just go ahead in the Bezdin office, in the makam Havad, and the rest of the Bezdin can declare Rosh out without, without the Rosh Havad, without the Rosh Bezdin. And the Gemara says, Kohanim are not allowed to duchen with their shoes, since the Cheyenne might bend down to tie one of them, if they became untied, he'll be embarrassed. And the other Kohanim will think that he's a kain. This is another one of the nine takhanas of Rabbi Yechon and Ben The other two are number one, a person today to become a ger needs mila, tvila, but he was mavatel, the fact that somebody needs to give money to Hektish. And then the last one is a It's either kerem revai or the fact of Lushan Sholzahuris on Yom Kippur. We know that there was a small thread of crimson, a red thread, which was tied to the, to the azazel. And originally it used to be that in the base hamigdash, people would be able to look in and see if it became white. If it became white, we know from the Gemara and Yuma, that people would know that the sins were forgiven. If it did not become white and it remained red, the sins were not forgiven. But since people used to be able to peek into the base hamigdash and they would see whether it became white or not, if it did not become white, people would get all upset that Hashem was not giving them a Kapara. Therefore they waited until the Azaza was in the Midbar, then they would see whether it turned white or not and then no one knew until after Yom Kippur whether it actually had turned white or not finally the Gmaras Rabbi Echanan lived 120 years the first 40 years he was in business the next 40 years he learned Tyra finally the last 40 years he taught Tyra the Mishnah as background in Malchius, Zechrenas and Shefras we also say psukim related to these inyanam and we blow Shaifer at the end of the final bracha of each of them Normally, we know that the Shemayin Eswe has seven brachas. The first three brachas, the one middle bracha, and three brachas. This, of course, is referring to Shabbos and Yantav. On Rosh Hashanah, we add two other brachas in the middle. So, on Rosh Hashanah, we have a total of nine brachas. And the Mishnah says, Rav and Ben-Nuri says that on Rosh Hashanah, we say, Ovis, Muget Avram, Gvuras, and Kedushas, Hashem, At These are the first three. And Malchias is included in Malacha and we do not blow Shafer. The fourth bracha, is, is Kedushas Hayyayim, which is Atah Bechartanu, and then we blow at the end of that. The fifth bracha is Zechar Habris, and we blow at the end of that. And the sixth bracha is Shifrus, and then we blow Shifrus at the end of that. Then we have the last three brachas. Rabbi Akiva says, we do the first three as normal, then we do Malchias and Kedushas Hayim together, then we blow, then we do Zechreinus, then we blow, then we do Shifrus, and then we blow, and then we have the last three brachas. And this is in fact how we do it today. And the Gemara says, we know, we say the bracha of Avais, from H that we give to Hashem children of the mighty, Abra Ramitzchak and Yaakov, and the Gemara brings psukim for all the other brachas of Shemayin Esrei, and the special brachas of Rosh Hashanah, for example, the pasuk of Zichron Truah. The Gemara says, every time we remember with psukim of Zichreinus, we also say psukim of Malchias. Then we have a Mishnah. One is not supposed to say less than ten psukim for each Malchias, ten psukim for Zichreinus, and ten psukim for Shaifus. Rabbi ben zuri says, that three of each is also okay, the And the Gemara asks, why ten? Where does the number ten come from? So the Gemara answers, these either represent the ten Hilulim of David in Telam, or the Asaras Hadibris, or the Asaramamaras Shabahem Nivra Ha'ilim, the Mishnah. We do not say Psukim of Malchias, Zechroinus, and Shafras that speak about punishment. The order of the ten Psukim are that we say three from Tyra, three from Ksuvim, and three from Navi he says it's okay to finish with the tenth pasuk from the Torah, and the Gemara says we do not remember the of individuals; we only remember the those that are related to the rabbin. Some Psukim can count as multiple Psukim if they have the word melech numerous times. For example, suush arim reshchem usu and viyavai melech hakaved melech You have the word melech twice, therefore you can count it twice. And the Gemara says when there's a machlekes between Rabbi Yehesi and Rabbi Yehuda, we always pascan like Rabbi Yehesi. The Mishnah. We blow Shafir in Musaf, and we say Malchias, Zichrenis, and Shafiris in Musaf. This is because we say, Berayv Am melech. We want to wait till everyone is there before we say that. The Shleach Tzibur should not blow the Shafir, but rather you should have somebody else blowing the Shafir. And a regular Yontav, we say Hal after Shachiris. We do not wait to say it after Musa, because in the case of Hal, we say, It's better to do it earlier. And the Gemara says, They used to actually blow Shafir, and say Malchius, Zecharinus, and Shifrus in Shachras because of this halacha of Zuzim and laMitzvah. But what, in those times there used to be spies who used to come from the king, and the spies used to come because they weren't really supposed to be blowing Shifrus. So what happened was they pushed off to Musaf because they would wait. The spies would come. The spies would see that they weren't doing anything. Then when they would leave, then they would blow the Shaifer. And that's where the minute came to blow Shifrus and say Malchius, Zecharinus, and Shifrus in Musaf, even though we say Zuzim Maktim laMitzvah, but rather we say Bereivah Mahadras Melech, and we say it later on in Musaf. Hallel is not said on Rosh Hashanah at all, since it's the time of din. In the time of din, it's really not appropriate to be saying Hallel. The Mishnah. We do not allow ourselves to be over on muktza, tchum, or even ride a bahema, which are only midrabanan for the purpose of blowing shayfar. We don't stop little kids from blowing a shayfar on Rosh Hashanah, if they do, since it's better for chinuch to allow them to blow if they want to. Daflam Gimel. Rabbi Yehuda says a says w- that women are not mochuyiv in the mitzvah of smichas karbon, leaning on a carbon, and should not do it because of baltaysev. According to Rabbi Yaisi and Rabbi Shimon, they can be same if they want to, therefore they can blow Shefer on Rosh Hashanah too. According to Taisvis, a woman is allowed to make a bracha on a mitzvah that she's not mechuyiv in. For example, a mitzvah is to say Shazman grama. The Rambam says, as he's always machmer with brachas, that a woman is not allowed to make a bracha on something that she's not mechuyiv in. And as we learned in Simon Tov Kuf Petas Sivvav, the Machaber says that she's not allowed to, but the Rama, which is how we Paskin, says that she is allowed to. The Mishnah: the order of the tkiyas are three times Tkiya Trua Tzikia, one for Alchius, one for Zecharinus, and one for Shifrus. And we know that we do two different sets of blowing: one for tkiyas the Me'ushe before Shema and one for tkiyas the Umud during Shema As we mentioned in Daf Tassayin, Kedei La'Arvei Hassan, the length of the tkiyas should be equal to three times a Trua. Rashi says that a Trua is equal to three very small sounds, Yavavas. Taisva so says it's three times three small sounds, so it's equal to nine sounds. If there was no available sheifer during Malchius Zechranus, and Shefers, and then they found one, he should blow them at that time. The Shatz is only mutsi, those who cannot daven. All others must daven for themselves. The Gemara then brings the sthira. The Nishna says that trua is equal to three very short sounds, and Taisus says this is nine sounds. The Brasis says that a trua is equal to three shvarim, three medium-length sounds, moaning sounds. It's even tough, kuf, dalad, we paskin like Taisus that a trua is equal to nine sounds, taflama dalad. From the variety of Psukim with the word trua three times, we know that we blow three sets of tkias. Three times tkiya trua tekia. This is equal to nine blows. We learn this from the sequence from the Khatsaits. And we also know that it's Pshuta Lefanao, U Pshuta Shalakhra, that we blow a tkiya before the trua and a tkiya after the trua. Vahu was in doubt if the trua is Genuche Ganach, a moaning sound, a shvarim, or yalile yol, yalil, a wailing sound, which is a trua, or maybe it's both. So we did both Shvarim and Truas. And he was Mesakin specifically that we must do tkiyah shvaram, trua tkiyah tashrat, tkiyah shvaram, tkiyah tashat, and tkiyah trua tkiyah tarat. The Russian in Iran point out that midaraysa, we only need either shvaram, trua, shvaram, or trua. And in fact, before Estakana, different people are different than Today, the halacha is that we blow three times tashrat, three times tashat, and three times tarat, and the tkiyah is the miyusha before Shemad Esri, that's 30. And then, of course, we blow again 30 more later on. Taisus brings regarding Tkiis the Me'uma during Shemot that the Mining was to blow Tashrat after Malchias, Tashat after Zechroinus, and Tarat after Sheifers. I mean, Tom changed this and said that he was Misakin that we have to blow Tashrat after all of them. So as we learned in Simit Toph Kuv at Tzadik Beis, that it's brought from the Shaloh, that today's Mining is a mix of ten. Tashrat, Tashat, and Tarat after Malchias, ten more after Zechroinus, and ten more after Shaifers, That's equal to sixty. We blow another forty more later on to be Misakin to get a hundred Tkiis on Rosh Hashanah, which is how we do it today. That's brought down in Taisvistaf Lamed Gimbal Lamed Beis as Eim Sisra, as a remembrance for the Hundred Cries of Devira Hanaviyah. If a person heard nine blows, one per hour, he still yaitza mitzvah shayfar. However, if there was a major hefsik in Halil or Megillah, long enough to finish it, then he must go back to the beginning. T'kiyis ein maakvis zu So if you can only do some of them, that's okay. But in Rosh Hashanah, you must do all of them. And you also have to do malchi, and shayfras, otherwise you're not yaitza. The Gemara says the halacha is that you only must hear tkias after malchias, zichrenas and shafras, b'chover ear in a minyan. If you do it daven b'yechidus, then there's no chiev to hear in a specific order. This implies that tkias are only done during chazar's hashats, not the salachman asrei. However, the Moggad Avram brings that we blow even during the salachman Asray. And we know in many nusach Samar today, they have the meaning to do this. The Gemara says that if a person is forced to choose, it's more important to hear the shafras, which is the raisa, versus hearing malchias, zichrenas and shafras, which is midir the sheet is the purpose of the shots on Rosh Hashanah is to be mitzi those who don't know how to daven, but one who does know must daven his own shemone But Gamil says that the shots can be mitzi even a baki, the last block from a sechta Rosh Hashanah, beginning on Daf He. Hey. If for musafin a person says Ubesirah Chakasuv Lamor without saying the actual psukim, he's yidze. This is how Rashi explains it. Others say that this kula applies to Malchias, Zecharinus, and Shifrus as well. The Gemara says all year the shots can only be Maitzi someone who isn't a bucky, but he cannot be Maitzi someone who is just Stam, a regular person. Rabbi Leeser says that a person should be Masada, his thoughts, before he begins the Shmanes, right? But the Ramah adds that he does not have to do this if he is davening from a sitter. Rabbi Gamliel was Masakin that a Shatz can patra people who aren't even in shul because of aynes, but he cannot be Maitzi people or patra people who are standing in shul. And finally, the Masakta ends by saying that anyone who is behind the Kohanim during the Duchanim do not get the benefit from birchas Kohanim. In other words, a person has to stand in front of the Kohanim, which is why in Shul we always move in front of the Kohanim when we do Dukhanim. Hajar and Allah, Masakta, Rosh Hashanah.